take a moment to take your Bibles, and we're going to be reading the passages from which Barry will be preaching from today. So we're going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 31. If you can turn to your Bibles, it's in the New Testament. That's 1 Corinthians 11, 23 to 31. Put your finger there. Then we're going to go to the Old Testament, be reading from the book of Exodus, chapter 12, verses 21 to 28. I'll give you a moment to flip through there. The the Bible isn't just a, a book of rules. The Bible is most of all a story. It's a story about how God loves his children and how he came to rescue us. And it takes the whole Bible to tell the whole story. And the best part about this story is that it is true. And that at the center of it all is Jesus, woven like a tapestry from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation, is Jesus. Let's read. Exodus chapter 12. Verses 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and kill the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin. None of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning, for the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians. And when he sees the blood, On the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. You shall observe this rite as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this service? You shall say, It is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. And the people bowed their heads and worshipped. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord has commanded Moses and Aaron. So they did. And let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 11. Verses 23 to 31. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The Word of God is living. We can't make it live. It already is alive. May it live in us this morning. 
not only individually, but corporately as a body. May the word of God truly live and thrive in us as we make our way in these unique times in which we are living, that we would not live merely according to what is easiest for us in the paths of least resistance, but with deep conviction and regards for the scriptures as they lead us and guide us, teach us how to, how to, to live together, how to think, even how to pray. 1 Corinthians 11:29 says, let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who drinks and eats without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. The assembling of God's people is something that God cares deeply about. And I believe it calls us to discernment of the body. My thoughts today are not going to be an explanation of the Lord's table, but rather the discerning of the body of the people that are gathered to the Lord's table. My question is this, how do we discern the body of Christ in the day in which we are living right now? That is, how do we see the body of Christ as we should see it? That is what it means to discern something. Are we seeing it well? Are we seeing it correctly? And I believe that the question of how to discern the body of Christ is a very, very significant question for our times. We are living in days of profound adjustment. The world is adjusting to new realities. Not just a holding pattern, waiting for things to go back the way that they were, but profound adjustments are taking place. Adjustments to new realities economically, politically, socially, new realities in commerce, in education, and in business. And as a church also, we are adjusting. I believe it's comparable to seasons of grief and trauma and the identifiable seasons that we go through when we go through grief and trauma. First of all, there's a time of shock I still remember where I was, where I was sitting on the day that I realized that the shutdown of the world was on its way even to where I lived and the internet news was coming off of the internet and was very much so going to change the world in which I lived day to day and it shocked me. After shock there is a season of acceptance and following that shock there comes a time where you think well this is this is, this is the way that it is, and actually, you know what, it's not so bad. I, I've got a lot of time, and instead of working all day and all evening, I'm only working all day. I have more time to do the things that I enjoy to do. It's, it's summertime, and the evenings are very, very pleasant. It is a time of, of accepting. But then there is also a time of adjustment, where we are actually forming new habits, actually creating new patterns for our life. And this adjustment, adjustment in the body of Christ, I believe requires that we give thought to consider how to discern the body of Christ. It's something that all of us are wrestling with in our lives. It's something that we're wrestling with as a team here at the church, and I believe it's appropriate to address it publicly. It's an emotional subject, and I trust you'll you'll be kind uh, towards uh, one another and gracious and patient with one another as we all work through the paths of adjustment 
that we are facing in our lives of worship. And this is the main point that I want to get across from Paul's words about discerning the body. That strong convictions, convictions that have tenacity, strong convictions of both our identity and our calling as a connected body are both critical and necessary in times when the convenience, the conveniences of isolation are both attractive and tempting for us. In other words, these days will test us. Do we possess strong convictions about the body of Christ? How do we discern the body of Christ in the days in which we are now living? And I believe that we need encouragement and guidance in these days of adjustment to know how to discern the body of Christ. As I said, our habits are changing. If you don't get anything else this morning, I hope that you will at least acknowledge that, that we are more than merely in a holding pattern, waiting for things to go back to normal. Our habits are changing. Our patterns are changing. And it's a significant discipline for us to discern the body of Christ according to our convictions. Are we resolved? Is there tenacity in us? Both corporately and personally to discern the body of Christ. The question is, will our adjustments serve us well? They may not be any perceptible difference in a week or in a month, but what about six months or a year down the road? Will our adjustments serve us well? Uh, corporately, as we make adjustments in our patterns of worship, will they serve us well? Will they serve us well in having a better correspondence to the pages of Scripture than we've ever known before? In the context of the Lord's table, I believe, is a great place to discern the body, both personally and corporately. And in that context of the Lord's table, I I'm going to point out that discerning the body includes, first of all, discerning our identity as God's people, something that God gives to us. It is given to us by Christ's body. And then secondly, discerning our calling, our identity and our calling. The calling is something that Christ gives us through our identity. In other words, there are two things at the Lord's table that we must be able to discern. Something that is proclaimed to us and something that is demanded of us. The thing that is proclaimed to us is the thing that can never be taken away. And that is our identity. And we come to the Lord's table and it is proclaimed to us all of the same. And there's nothing about our circumstances. There's nothing about the way that we assemble that gives us that identity. It is given to us by God's sovereign grace and mercy through the shed blood and broken body of our Lord. But then there is also something demanded of us also if you think about the Lord's table. And how we, how we gather as God's people to eat this meal together. To resemble in our gathering the people that God has already declared us to be. So there it is, both our identity and our calling that we must be able to discern. First of all, discerning our identity. When God's people receive from the Lord these elements from the Lord... We are receiving something that is not the fruit of our own labors. It is the fruit of another's 
labor. It is the fruit of God's labor given to us freely. That is how we are given our identity. We are God's people. And we are God's people first and foremost only because he has declared us to be so his people. By his mercy through the offering up of the body of our Lord. This is what makes us who we are. It is something that God gives to us. We cannot make up our identity. We cannot do it or create an identity by the things that we do or the things that we believe. It is something that is given to us by God. And the history of the meal bears this out. In Exodus chapter 12, as was read earlier, when the meal, as Moses directed the families, which is a significant word for us, even more so now when we think about the gathering of God's people. When a family gathered to eat this meal together, the question was asked, and it's a wonderful question, by one of the participants at the table, possibly a child, saying, what does this mean? What is this all about? I hope you pause at your family tables also, often, and allow opportunity for questions of children to say, what does this mean? What is this all about? But in the response to the question, the answer was not, well, we did this or we did that. The answer to the question begins with God. God has given to us our identity. And the angel of destruction passed over us because of blood that was shed on our doorposts. And that is why the family bowed their head and worshipped. Because they recognized and realized through the meal that something had been given to them that they did not deserve. Something had been given to them that they had not earned, but it was according to God's mercy. This is the great but God of Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul tells the Ephesians church that we were, like the rest, by nature, not just by deed or by conduct or by behavior, but by nature, children of wrath. But God, who is rich in mercy, with his loving kindness, has made us to live in Jesus Christ. That is the, the wonderful and encouraging truth of our identity. God gives it to us, and there is no government or there is no hostile force that can ever strip of us of our identity. Some of you might be familiar with the Fox's Book of Martyrs. If you're feeling persecuted today, let the persecution be put in its proper perspective, proper perspective of the scripture, even the proper perspective of history. In the Fox's Book of Martyrs, I highly doubt that there will ever be a line about the Canadian church to describe our persecution, that they had to sanitize their hands and sit two meters apart from each other. In fact, some of you welcome those changes as uh, safety measures for your own personal health and safety. I saw a drawing of Stephen being stoned to death today, or recently. Just a hand drawn, or a a pencil drawn uh, depiction of the stoning of Stephen that made me stop and think of what it would like to be stoned for Jesus. Of the first rock that would feel the pain and a rock that would knock you unconscious and then people standing over to crush you. And it's something that I say that needs to be put in perspective if we're feeling persecuted. Uh, this week on this Lord's Day, there will be dozens of Christians who gather who will be physically attacked because they gather in the name of Jesus. 
But our identity is given to us and it can't be taken away, even if we are flushed out of the places where we worship. Nothing can strip us of our identity. It should also save us from the delusion that our identity is found simply because we gather. Because we assemble does not give us an identity, or the numbers with which we assemble does not give us an identity. The scriptures are full of such warnings for Israel through the Old Testament that their identity must never be understood as their attendance to the temple. In fact, I'm reading through the book of Isaiah right now. In the first few chapters of Isaiah, it opens up with God's pleading of his people to please don't come to my temple. Please don't bring your sacrifices to the place of worship in order that, in fact, he says, I'm going to drive you away from the temple, that you would not be deceived that because your attendance at the temple has given you an identity as the people of God. We are not simply a self-interest group in our society that extract our identity from culture by demanding certain rights and privileges. We are not a self-interest group. That is not where we get our identity, by, by demanding our rights. God has put his name on us. And it is as secure as the resurrection, as the resurrection of our Lord is true. Praise the Lord. We are God's people. He has put his name on us. It is a wonderful, wonderful truth. I've heard it said often over the years that church is not a place you go to. We said it, but yet still church was a place we went to. Now that is literally true for most of us. Church is not a place that we go to. We cannot have an identity because of the place that we gather. And I believe we should embrace our identity. I love the gathering of God's people. For the last 25 years or so in my life, I've made it a very self-conscious and personal, deliberate conviction to gather with God's people on the Lord's day. Through the public singing of God's word, the declaration of God's word, and it makes me less in control of the people that I choose to cross my path and who God calls me to serve and love. And yet, that is not what gives us our identity. Secondly, the Lord's table is also a place where we, we discern the body by discerning our calling. This is something that flows from our identity. We also have a calling, and this is also significant. Our calling is in our relationships. Our calling is in the unity and the interdependence that we experience as the body of Christ. It is in our relationships. God calls us, he demands something of us in our relationships. If our identity declares us all to be the same, and we all are all the same as we gather at the Lord's table, there is no distinction between us. And that is to be reflected in our calling. To be connected to one another in a way that overcomes all of the things that divide us. The things that divide us culturally, the things that divide us socially, the things that divide us economically. It worships the Lord at his table by doing so as God's people. 
In other words, our calling is to live lives that are, are close enough to feel the differences that there are between us and yet eat together as a united body. And here's where we really feel the changes in our patterns right now. We don't have our natural, or I should say our, our normal patterns of connection through large corporate worship services right now. Peter describes the church as a, as a royal people. A royal people you are, and we've become a royal audience. How do we, how can we say we are a united people without being a connected people? It's really easy to get along well with people that you never see. And so again, it begs the question, is there any tenacity in us to belong, to stay interconnected? Is it something that is blown away by easy or by, by winds of, of opposition? Is there a resolve and a determination in us to be connected? Or is it simply more convenient to be alone? I was reading through the book of Haggai this week. I, I don't read the book of Haggai often, but I did this week in my regular rhythm of reading. And it's words that I've been familiar with, but it was helpful for me to be reminded of them this week. It speaks of the distinction of, of the neglect of the Lord's temple while people are at home building their own houses. And I, I confess I've spent a lot of time in my yard recently. And I see the same thing in people around it. The, the lumber yards are out of wood, apparently, because people are so busy building their homes right now. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is, a t- is, it, is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house of mine lies in ruins? Because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. It has been encouraging for me, though, to see over these last few months wonderful connectivity amongst people. I called someone a few weeks ago, and uh, the phone rang quite a few times, and the reason it did is because they were on the phone with somebody else from, from the church, and our conversation was cut short because somebody else was trying to call them also while we were speaking. And I, I left that conversation encouraged by the way that people are staying connected. When people show up at the church for various different reasons, I, 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 I try to at least say hello and ask them how they are doing, and I am encouraged often what comes out of it are stories of, of connection. Stories where people are resolved, that people are determined to develop or to maintain healthy habits of staying connected one with another. Thank you for that. But our calling is not simply to return to normal. That is not a fulfillment of our calling. Just as our identity is not found simply by assembling, don't wait for our calling to be fulfilled by returning to what is normal. Our calling is not to go into a holding pattern until we can return to our past of what was culturally comfortable and acceptable for us. In other words, I don't believe that our calling should be from looking in the rearview mirror. I believe our calling should be an anticipation, a forward looking of what does God have for us. Our calling is to live connected lives 
that bear out the message of our identity, the character of our identity, that displays the gospel in our character and in our lives that are shared one with, one, one with another. So don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged about the opportunities that we have as God's people to, yes, develop new habits, yes, develop new patterns, but not with the government as our guide, with the scriptures as our guide. We live in exciting times. As a staff, we're not asking the questions, well, what should we do until we can get back to normal? As a staff, we're asking the question, what is God calling us to? What are the ways that we can can hear God speaking to us through the scriptures to find paths of fulfilling our calling in the days in which we live? The Lord is refining us. The Lord is instructing us. Have you ever paid, prayed for patience and regretted it? Have you ever prayed for perseverance and wished you had never done so? Well, what if we had prayed for the church to refine us? What if we had prayed, or sorry, for the Lord to refine us? What if we had prayed, Lord, would you show us better your ways? Lord, would you refine us of all the things that are merely cultural in our habits and patterns? And would you show us ways that that correspond with the scriptures in a more clear way and better proclaim the gospel through us? That call us to real participation day in and day out of the character and the lives that God expects of us. I've heard the word drift used recently quite a bit. And I've been giving it some thought in my own life, personally, and as a church. But drift can't be measured from what we used to be. Don't measure drift simply by a measurement from what we used to do. Drift can only be measured from where we're supposed to be. And the only thing that defines where we're supposed to be is the scriptures. And so it could be from this perspective of drift that we may have had greater drift before the shutdown than what we have now. What if we had prayed again, Lord, refine us. Deliver us from all that is merely cultural. I read Psalm 39, 11 this week that says this, when you discipline a man, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. It's a vital or a vivid image, isn't it? A moth being consumed. The Lord has consumed something that is very dear to us and he has ordained days for us to walk in. Lord, would you please refine us? Would you save us from the false identities that we've had? Would you take us away from our consumerism? Would you take away from us our worldly imitations? Would you take away from us all of our dependency upon things that we should not depend upon and depend on the gospel alone. Depend on you. God is great. He is real. And it changes everything. I want to finish with two questions that are very practical questions to help us discern our calling in the body of Christ. Two questions to help us, guide us in our way. The first one is, Again, very simply, but it's a a significant question to ask, I think, of who knows your name? Who knows your name? 
Does anybody know your name? It's a test, isn't it, of connectivity? God hasn't called us to worship together as strangers. Who knows you? I believe that it, that is the biblical pattern of discerning the body. I was reading through the three epistles of John recently, and third John ends this way. Greet each person by name. <laughs> and it reminded me, yeah, that, that's, that's how God's people gather. They gather people known by name. You read through the book of Romans, and the final chapter of Romans is Romans chapter 16. It's, like, it's a list of names that are there for generations, hundreds of generations to see not because we know them, because it sets an example for us. The church gathered people who were known by name. Could you call somebody tomorrow and ask for help because they know your name? Proverbs 18.1 is a verse that's often been helpful for me. It says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. Knowing, someone knowing our name means to ask God to help you to discern a bubble. There's a new word in our vocabulary. To help discern a bubble where, where you're safe, but where you're connected. And somebody knows your name. It's very, very significant. A place where your rhythms of life are known. See, we need both accountability and we need the comfort of being known by name. A place where people can ask us the questions of life, like, how are you? Where were you? What are you doing? Or why are you doing that? The questions of life that, as I say, bring us both encouragement and accountability. The second question is this. Who depends upon you? Who depends upon you? See, discerning the body can often be asked or often only be a consideration of our own needs. And that may be the only question you've been asking these last few months. Am I fed? Am I encouraged? Do I have all that I need? Am I being taught? But of course, discerning our calling means to realize that it, it's not all about you. And it's not all about me. We are a body. Read through the next chapter following 1 Corinthians 11, where I've read 1 Corinthians 12. And you'll find a faithful reminder about the body, the interconnectedness of God's people, where God's people actually depend upon one another. I have a friend who's 92 years old. And one of the ways that he depended upon people was that he was able to get out and have coffee at McDonald's with people several times a week. And it's a simple thing to consider, but I wonder if the people who gather for those simple gatherings ever realize the dependency that other people have upon them. Who depends upon you? A very, very simple question to ask. God, by his wisdom, by his providence, brings people into our circle of life. And he asks us to serve them. He asks us to love them. And so that's something we trust God for, that he does bring people into our lives. And it's a matter, simple matter of being available and asking this question, who are the people that God has put in my proximity and I might be able to serve them in their needs. It's a matter of discerning our calling in the day in which we live. We'll be doing all that we can in the future days to nurture small groups to nurture 
things like house churches. It feels strange to say it, but it's something that we're working on. And I thank you for many of you that have expressed interest in gathering together on the Lord's Day in small groups, in bubble groups of, of homes in order to be taught and worship and sing together as God's people. For many of you, this is a radical shift. It is a huge change for you to consider a gathering and developing habits and patterns in these different ways. And it can be intimidating. And you think, well, what if, what if somebody asked me to pray? Or what if, what if somebody finds out that I don't know my Bible very well? Or what if somebody finds out about my past, my history? Or what if I ask a stupid question? Believe me, I've asked most of them. It's a place for us to, in these small groups, to develop the character of our identity, of our calling, to be gracious and to, to be merciful towards one another. And our goal in establishing these things is not to fill another program. It's not to take stats on how many are involved. The goal is very practical, to help us all to discern the body of Christ. Would you pray with me? Lord, guide us, I pray. Help us in these days to discern your body. Thank you for your body that is given to us so freely. Help us to treasure it. Help us to be immersed in our identity. Help us to be strong in it. Forgive us for the false identities that we have found. And Lord, may we not neglect our calling to make our calling and our election sure. And consider what we were when you called us. We were, we were nothing, and now you've made us to be your people. Help us to live so. Help us to truly love one another, even in these days. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.